following audio was recorded by Gateway Church's 20s and 30s network called Anchor. The Anchor Network exists to create safe and engaging come-as-you-are environments for the young adults of our church and city to connect and explore how real life intersects with authentic faith in Jesus. For more information about Anchor, visit gatewaychurch.com forward slash north networks or follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Meetup by searching for Gateway Anchor. for listening to our podcast from Gateway's 20s and 30s network, Anchor. Please subscribe not only to stay up to date on our current series, but also to get the word out on all things Anchor. The more you listen, the greater the opportunity we have to share all that God's up to. If you have any questions or comments, connect with us on social media or shoot us an email at anchor at gatewaychurch.com. What's up, Anchor? This is Ross, and just wanted to check in with you guys. Hey, normally we don't do this, but typically when we record audio on a Wednesday night, we go ahead and edit that, and then we get that turned into kind of a more cohesive audio file so that anybody who wants to go back and listen to any of the audio can do that. Funny thing happened this past Wednesday as we were in week three of our I Don't Want to Be in Love series. We actually ran into a technical difficulty. We lost all of the audio And we realized that because this is a series that a lot of people are talking about and a lot of people up to this point have been asking for access to some of the resources and things like that, rather than just kind of kind of cut our losses and say, well, guess we don't have audio for week three on masculinity. Um, I'm actually going to go ahead and go back through the notes. I'll do my best to kind of read the notes as if um, I'm speaking. And the reason we're doing this is so that we have that content available to anybody who either one missed Wednesday night, week three of that series, or for people to share it or go back and listen. And as we take notes or as we're kind of processing what we're talking about, we want to make these resources available. So if this sounds a little bit different for those of you that were there, you know why. If you weren't here, then you're not really going to be able to know a difference anyway. So I'm just going to kind of jump in. So for the past couple weeks and definitely for the next several weeks, we've been in and will be in this series as you know, we're calling I Don't Want to Be in Love, where we're unapologetically talking about things like dating and relationships and marriage and sexuality and femininity and masculinity and, wait for it, how all of these things align with God's original intent when he said, let there be human beings. See, we're asking questions like, what did God have in mind when he created me as a man or as a woman? And why did he do it that way? And why did God say the things he did about men and women and marriage and sexuality? All the things I just listed, because sometimes it's confusing. And maybe most pressing on my mind of all the questions, what does that mean for me today in my life? See, Because it's really just a waste of time if we sit in spaces like this and only talk about things and never really get up and apply what we're learning. And we've said it before, and it holds true for this conversation as well. If I'm going to trust or put my faith in the things God says, I need to first learn to trust or put my faith in 
the God who's doing the saying, right? I need to trust God before I can get on board with anything that he says to me. And I'll be the first to acknowledge that in this space of learning to trust God, really with anything, but especially with my identity as a sexual, spiritual being, there's an immense amount of vulnerability and honesty that's required, right? See, that's why, since week one, we've made the following agreement or alliance, if you will, among our tables. It has three things, right? The first is we do not judge. As people unpack things, as people are sharing things, we want to create a safe space for people to do that. We're not going to throw stones because we all have stories. And until we get to know each other's stories, we're not going to judge. And even after, we're not going to judge, right? Because there's grace, which leads to the second thing. We offer grace and truth. We offer grace and truth. In the Bible, we see Jesus showing up, and it was said of him that he came full of grace and truth. He handled both well. He didn't shy away from the hard conversations, but he knew how to show up in those hard conversations with love. And finally, we keep confidentiality. The thing is, what we're talking about at our tables can involve really sensitive things, sensitive parts of our stories, past wounds, past hurts, things like that, which means it's not going to leave our tables, right? We're not going to take it to work with us without the other person knowing. Really, if we want to have a conversation about what we talked about outside of Wednesday night, it should be with that person over coffee or lunch. That's what safe community looks like. So that's our alliance. We do not judge. We offer grace and truth, and we keep confidentiality. Now, tonight, as an extension of what Sarah kind of unpacked for us last week, which was femininity, we're talking about masculinity. Rather, we're talking about what God has to say about masculinity since it was his idea in the first place, right? And especially for us men in the room, but ladies, you're not off the hook either. I'll talk to you a couple times tonight. As men in the room, what does that look like for us right now, today, with our lives, our jobs, our relationships? What do we do with that, right? What do we do with what God says about masculinity? Because I'll say that for me, the subject of masculinity brings up a lot of emotions, It brings up a lot of emotions, and I'm not very good sometimes at processing those emotions. For me, this looks like eagerness, anxiety, honor, maybe a little shame around the subject of my masculinity. But it's also something I'm genuinely excited to talk to you about. Not because I have it all figured out. I need you to hear that. I definitely do not. My story has been one of stumbling through figuring out what it looks like to be a man, as God would define masculinity, for long seasons of my life. And I've failed countless times along the way. See, whether I've intended to or not, I've hurt other people. I've hurt other people as I've tried to figure this out. I've hurt myself. I've hurt my wife. I've hurt my friends. I've hurt my family. See, as a brother, as a husband, as a son, I've fallen short. And guys, we have to admit together, we've fallen short. But what excites me is the hope that Jesus offers in spite of the fact that we've fallen short. See, tonight is not about where we've been. I'll say a little bit more about that later. Tonight is about where we are and where we're going. So to set up the conversation, let's start with where we are. I've been told it's the best place to start, so I have a couple questions to kick us off. The first one goes like this. How have you seen culture define masculinity or what it means to be a man? What have we seen living our lives? Second question is, what preconceived thoughts, feelings, or ideas are you of your own are you walking in with tonight? What thoughts do you have about what it means to be a man. Let's dive into that.
Now, I don't know if you realize it or not, but I'm willing to bet that everything you just talked about at your tables, cultural definitions of masculinity, your own thoughts and feelings on the subject, whatever, I'm willing to bet that it falls into one of two categories. And around here, we like to say that we have two deals on the table. The first deal goes like this. What God says is right and true and good versus what the world says is right and true and good. Two deals, what God says and what the world says. And sometimes these things can appear to overlap. Most of the time, they just run in completely opposite directions. So it's important that we recognize that we have two distinct deals. We can really only choose one if we're really going to go all in. And depending on which deal we choose, there's corresponding fruit or results or consequences, both good and bad, right? We know that. And here's the thing. I'm not going to stand up here and tell you what to do. I'm not your Holy Spirit. That's above my pay grade. See, Jesus said, not Ross, Jesus said that the wise man is the man who hears his words and what? Puts them into practice, right? Jesus says he's like the man who built his house on a solid foundation, and the storms came, and the rain and the wind pounded pounded against his house, but it was left standing, He's a wise man. But we also have the choice to hear what Jesus would say to us and not put it into practice. It's our choice, right? There are two deals on the table. And you may never hear another pastor tell you this, but if what you have going is working for you, then keep doing it. Again, who am I to tell you what to do? But be careful. Because when the storms come and our house falls apart, like Jesus said it would because we had a shaky foundation to begin with, we don't get to look back at Jesus and say, where were you, Jesus? Where have you been as my house is falling apart? It was our choice, not his, to build on the foundation we did, right? So now that you've heard the worst pep talk from Ross ever, I promise it gets better, let's start unpacking some of what we see God saying about our masculinity, So last week, Sarah showed us this verse in Genesis. We're going to revisit it. It's the first chapter in the Bible. This is Genesis chapter 1, verse 27. Check out what it says. It says, So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Now, right off the bat, we see God creating two equal but different bearers of his image. And that's really important. Equal but different See, later in the New Testament, a guy named Paul would describe this as a mystery, specifically in the context of marriage between a male and a female. But the principle applies to us tonight as we talk about this. How can two image bearers be equal but different, right? That's the question. And honestly, I don't know. It sounds mathematically impossible to me. How can they be equal but different? But here's what I do know. This mystery is a reflection of God himself, You might be asking, how? Well, just as God exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, yet he is one God, so we exist as male and female, yet are holy and completely image bearers. We are not incomplete because we are different. We are not incomplete because we are different. This is an incredibly empowering view of masculinity and femininity because God's design is that our differences do not detract. And this is an idea that can be wildly countercultural. How much of our culture do we see men and women trying to figure out how our differences relate to each other, right? See, we are created equal 
but different. That's God's design. Now, what's interesting about the first couple of chapters in Genesis is that they're actually chronologically a bit scattered. See, in chapter 1, we see creation through the sixth day. So God's creating heavens and earth, and we, we, a lot of us know the story. But in chapter 2, we sort of backtrack to a point in time before God creates Eve, before God puts Eve in the garden with Adam. Check it out. This is in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15. It says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And there are two things here. The first is that this comes before verse 18, right? Makes sense. 15 comes before 18. This comes before verse 18 where we see God determine that it's not good for man to be alone. So Adam is clearly the only human in all of creation. He's the only man, the only human on the face of the earth at this point. And because Adam is alone, this is the second thing, we start to get a glimpse of God's design for men, because that's literally all that's there at this point. See, it's hidden in the second half of the verse. It says to work and take care of. That's God's design. In this case, the Greek language for work or other translations of the Bible use the word cultivate. It would have implied a posture of service, literally labor in service of, labor in service of another. And the language for take care of would have implied physical protection or guardianship or keeping, literally guarding something valuable. So, men, we might define our charge from God like this, to provide for, to protect, to preserve, and to pursue. Which begs the question, who or what are we providing for, protecting, preserving, and pursuing? Well, we can look back at verse 15. What is Adam charged with? He's charged with providing for, protecting, preserving, and pursuing the Garden of Eden. And we might ask, well, what's that mean? It means all of creation that has been entrusted to him by God. So we put the two ideas together, and men, we arrive at this. We are given the primary, responsible, primary responsibility by God to provide for, to protect, to preserve, and to pursue everything and everyone he has entrusted to our care. We are given the primary responsibility by God to provide for, to protect, to preserve, and to pursue everything and everyone he has entrusted to our care. And don't overthink that, right? You might be thinking, well, does that mean him and her and my mother-in-law and it and the dog and the farm and the house? (laughs) The answer is yes, If God has put him or her or it or them in your life, then this is what he's asking you to do. Now, a quick note to the ladies. Ladies, last week you may have heard Sarah define biblical femininity as being warriors that come alongside others in order to advance God's kingdom. That's the implication of ezer konegdo. Remember the Hebrew language used to describe women and femininity. So with this in mind, I need you to hear me. In no way am I saying you are incapable of and therefore should not or cannot operate in a providing, protecting, preserving, and pursuing posture. That this is only reserved for men? Not what I'm saying. Of course you're capable. 
See, in Genesis 1, God gives dominion over creation to man and woman. Of course you're capable. So men, while this charge does not imply a job only for us guys, it does imply that it is our primary responsibility. You'll hear me say that word a lot tonight. It is our primary responsibility to ensure that this happens. Think about it. Satan tempts Eve in the garden. This is Genesis chapter 3. Satan tempts Eve. He says, did God really say, did God really say that you can't eat from any of the trees in the garden? Must not be a very good God for him to say that. And see, Eve catches the lie. Eve catches Satan in the lie. He says, she says rather, that's not what God said. That's not what God said. God said that we could eat from any tree we want. We just can't touch this one tree. And here's a question. Who told her that? Who told her that? Because it wasn't God. Go back and reread Genesis 2. God gave that command to Adam before he created Eve, which means it was Adam's responsibility to communicate, to provide information to Eve that would protect her. And he clearly does, right? Because Eve is communicating it back to Satan. Eve as a fierce warrior, is coming alongside Adam's provision and standing up against Satan. And see, for a a brief moment in creation, this is a beautiful picture of masculinity and femininity complementing each other really well. So men, are we going to need support in this? Of course we are. That's why God saw fit to create women as fierce warriors to come alongside us in order to advance God's kingdom. But this, this provision and protection and preserving and pursuing, this is our primary responsibility. And see, maybe you've never heard that before. I know I hadn't. So let's pause and talk about it. I have a couple more questions for you. Have you seen this version of masculinity before? And if you have, who in your life fits this definition? And the second question would be, what do, you, what do you see about this definition of masculinity that you like? What do you find easy to live with? And on the flip side of that, what are some of the more challenging components? Let's talk about it. Now, guys, you'll remember I said that we're given two deals, right? What God says and what the world says, really anything that isn't from God, right? So when you think about this responsibility, please know that you have the choice to step away from it. You have the choice to step away from it, to focus on you, to take care of yourself, to choose self-preservation. That's what we see Adam doing, right? Some of us know the story. In Genesis 3, right after Eve catches Satan's lie, we see everything unravel, right? There's this beautiful moment of masculinity and femininity complementing each other, but then immediately after that, it all starts to fall apart, right? This is Genesis chapter 3, verse 6. It says, When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some of it and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. Where was Adam? He was right there with Eve, watching everything happen. See, with the primary responsibility to provide for, to protect, to preserve, and to pursue, what does Adam do as Eve, who has been entrusted to his care, finds herself literally fighting for her life? 
nothing. He does nothing. And ladies, you've maybe carried the secondhand shame from the idea that it was Eve, a woman, who committed the first sin. That's not what I see happening in the Bible. It's just not. See, as per his responsibility, Adam, who should have gotten between Eve and Satan and said, this conversation is over. This stops now. Adam chooses to do nothing. See, he could have walked away with Eve, but why didn't he? And the, I, I honestly don't know. See, maybe he was scared. Maybe he wasn't paying attention. I know both of those things have been true in my life when I've been in dangerous situations, right? Either way, Adam chooses to abdicate his responsibility. But we can't throw stones, can we, guys? Because the result has been something every single one of us has wrestled with as a result, and that's passivity, See, Adam was passive. He was not actively protecting. He was not actively preserving. Men have struggled with this ever since. Have you noticed that? See, we shrink back at tough decisions. We hesitate when faced with conflict. We struggle in conversation. We choose the recliner or the game or the bar or that particular website when things get really hard. Or maybe we swing so far in the other direction that our passivity shows up as aggression because deep down we're insecure, but we'd rather die than let anyone else see it. So outwardly we show up as domineering, as decisive, as take charge, sexually adept type A leaders, but inwardly we're one mistake or failure away from coming unglued. Am I getting close, guys? That's been my story. See, Ted Beasley he used to be one of the teaching pastors here at Gateway, and he said it perfectly. He said, it is not my masculinity that's toxic. It is my sin that's toxic. The very people entrusted to my care are getting blasted, and I don't know what to do about it. And see, there's a book in the Bible, and no one's really sure who wrote it. Some say Paul, others say Luke. It doesn't really matter, but it outlines this long list of these heroes of faith. They're called heroes of faith. They're people who just had noted, strong, observable faith, even though their lives were really challenging. So in the book of Hebrews, after giving name after name after name, it says this in Hebrews chapter 12. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses... Let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter or completer of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And see, there it is then. The definitive answer to the question, how in the world do I steward this responsibility entrusted to me by God to provide for, protect, preserve, and pursue? The answer, we keep our eyes on Jesus. We keep our eyes on Jesus. See, I love how Mark Driscoll captures what we're talking about. Let me read to you what he says. He says, the key to understanding masculinity is Jesus Christ. Jesus was tough with religious blockheads, false teachers, the proud, and bullies. Jesus was tender with women, children, and those who were suffering or humble. Additionally, Jesus took responsibility. There it is again. He took responsibility for himself. He worked a job for the first 30 years of his life, swinging a hammer as a carpenter. 
He also took responsibility for us on the cross where he substituted himself and died in our place for our sins. My sins are my fault, not Jesus's fault, but Jesus has made them his responsibility. This is the essence of the gospel, the good news. If you understand this, it will change how you view masculinity. See, nobody understood the responsibility to provide for, to protect, to preserve, and to pursue better than Jesus. And see, just like Paul writes in Romans 5, Jesus did what Adam could not. He got between us and danger, between us and eternal separation from God, and he said, this conversation is over. This stops right now. And he died on a cross, and three days later, he rose from the grave, just like he said he would. Men, we are free to step back into the responsibility God always designed for us to have, and it's because of Jesus. So let me give us a couple practical thoughts, and then we'll wrap things up. The first goes like this. Men, we don't lack talent or ability. We don't lack talent or ability. We lack vision. See, if we're to keep our eyes on Jesus, then we had better figure out, and I mean really figure out, I mean really study who he was, what he was like, the kind of things he said and did. See, not very many people know this about me. I don't share it all that often. But when I was in high school, I actually shot rifles competitively. And this is a picture of me. You can see me. And, and the target, there's actually, on this target, to get a bullseye, it's a period, about the size of a period that you would write with a typewriter. It's an incredibly small target that you're trying to hit. This is actually an event in the Olympics. And it's not like during primetime Olympics because no one wants to watch it. You have to stay up till like 1 a.m. to catch the shooting in the Olympics. But it's in there. And at the height of my time competing, I was actually ranked in the top 40 shooters in the entire country. I had competed next to Olympic gold medalists from all over the world, really awesome elite athletes, and I was actually considering competing at a collegiate level. It was a huge part of my story for a really long time. And now, my, my intent in telling you that, or even bringing up guns, is not to make this about a gun conversation. So if you heard that word and it was automatically a trigger, just hold on, right? The reason I bring this up is to illustrate an analogy. See, if I'm aiming at my target, just like I did a thousand times, and I pull the trigger, just like I did a thousand times, and the shot goes where I didn't intend it to, whose fault is that? Mine or the target's? Because the target never moved, right? Guys, if you're anything like me, so often we say we want one thing, either out loud or in our heads. We say we want one thing, the target, but we aim our lives in a totally different direction. And we wonder why our lives don't turn out the way we expect or want them to. We were aiming all the way over there. We were aiming in a totally different direction. And see, as I keep my eyes on Jesus, who is ultimately my target, right? As I keep my eyes on Jesus, it becomes helpful to ask three questions. They go like this. The first is this. What do you want? Ross, what do you want? Men, what do you want? This becomes the vision of my life, right? What do you want? The second goes like this. Why do you want it? Why do you want it? This is my intent, right? And finally, how will you get there? How will you get there? This becomes my strategy, vision, intent, strategy. And as I learn more about who Jesus is, the answers to these questions 
start to align more and more with how he lived, what he did and said, and how he loved people. My vision for my life starts to align with Jesus's vision for my life. My intent for my life starts to align with Jesus's intent for my life. And my strategy ultimately becomes how Jesus would live out my life, right? I'm keeping my eyes on him. Now, I mentioned a couple thoughts. So here's the second one, and it has everything to do with our growing up as men, our growing up as men. See, there are four biographies of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but only in one of them do we get a glimpse of Jesus's life between birth and year 30, which was when he began his ministry, right? There's only one gospel where we get that snapshot of time, and that's the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke. So check out what it says of pre-adolescent Jesus. In Luke chapter 2, check it out. It says, And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. That's people. So Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Wisdom meaning exactly what we think it means, right? Stature meaning physical appearance. So Jesus literally grew physically into a man. And yes, that means exactly what you would expect, right? Puberty, facial hair, voice changing. He probably had kids in his class laugh at him when he answered a question and his voice cracked, right? See, Jesus grew up just like the rest of us guys. Now, the way this sentence is written is so important. Notice what it does not say. It does not say that Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature. And some of you are like, yes, it does. That's literally what you just said. Nope. It's not what I just said. Look at it again, right? It says Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. Jesus grew in wisdom and stature. The Greek structure of the sentence makes these two things, wisdom and stature, inseparable. It makes them inseparable. The implication of this is really important. See, men, as we grow up, as our physical bodies grow and our sexual desires change and evolve and our cognitive processes literally become more developed and refined, there has to be an also-present increase in wisdom, in experiential understanding of the way the world works and how God would desire us to show up in that world. They have to go together. They have to grow at the same rate. So you don't need me to explain to you how unbearable it is to interact with a five-year-old who's trapped in a 30-year-old's body, right? And it's not just unbearable, it's also dangerous. See, if I have the stature of a 30-year-old, but the wisdom of a five-year-old, it's a matter of time before I hurt people. Why? Because even though I look like a man and have big toys like a man and have been given the responsibility of man, inside I'm still a child, I have no idea how to wield that responsibility. Some of us have been burned by men like that. Some of us know men like that. Now, I really don't have time to go into it tonight, guys, but there's a great book. It's called Wild at Heart, and it's, it's got a sequel. It's got a sequel called The Way of the Wild at Heart. So Wild at Heart and The Way of the Wild at Heart. They're both written by a guy named John Eldridge. He's one of my all-time favorite Christian authors. And in it, he kind of unpacks what he calls the phases of the masculine journey. And he gives really practical advice on how to walk this journey of development and kind of go from being a really, really young man, really a young boy, all the way up to an old man. He talks about how we walk that process with God. And he talks about how we walk through that process when we've faced wounds or we've been damaged along that journey. What happens when we've been 
pushed through that process too quickly of development or not quickly enough. He unpacks it all in really, really great detail. I highly, highly recommend that every guy in the room go to Half Price Books and pick up these two books. Highly recommend it. Now, that's a lot of me talking. Some of you are like, please, take a breath, Ross. Yes, I will. Here are a few final questions for us to kick around. The first goes like this. How has your idea of masculinity been challenged tonight? And what lingering questions do you have about biblical masculinity? And we've said it a couple times in this series, but actually the last night of the series, week six, we're going to do a night entirely devoted to everyone's questions. As we receive these questions, we're going to compile them and we'll figure out a way to create extended time to talk about them together. So if you have questions, you can Write them down on a little note card, put them in our vase that we have, or you can go to questions.gateway-anchor.com. That's going to be blasted on all of our social media, and you can submit those questions. So if you have questions about tonight, let us know, right? It's all anonymous. But the second question for you guys is, what's a next step you could be challenged to consider taking as you leave tonight? What's a next step you can take? Because again, it, having these conversations in spaces like this are great, but we have to get up and leave rooms like this, and it doesn't do us any good if we can't figure out a way to put what we're learning into practice. So what's the next step you guys could take? Now, at the beginning of the night, I proposed that everything we're talking about is not about where we've been, but rather about where we are and where we're going. So here's the thing, guys. Don't you wish that you could change your past? Don't you wish you could change your past? Like, I'll just erase high school and maybe erase a couple years in college and that one night. Like, don't you wish you could change your past, right? Um, the truth is, all we have is from now on. So here's what I want us to do, right? I want all the men in the room to think about this with me. See, it might, it might feel weird. Just think about this with, with me. We talked about where we are and where we're going, keeping our eyes on Jesus, but if you're anything like me, you look at your past, you look at decisions you've made that you can't get back, and you wonder if any of this is even possible for you. Right? You have a list of a thousand and one reasons why Jesus should give up on you, why he should just leave you behind, and you say, I just need two of those reasons to justify why all of this is impossible for me. Let me read to you a verse from Romans it's chapter 8. It's one of my favorite chapters in the entire Bible. I just want the men to let this sink in. This is Romans 8, verse 1. It says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There is no condemnation, men. We are free because of what Jesus has done. And the reality is, there are people in our lives who need us to step into the responsibility God has given us. They need us to take ownership of our lives. They need us to provide for, to protect, to preserve, and to pursue. That is the responsibility we've been given, and Jesus makes it possible. Now, ladies... I know I spoke mostly to the guys tonight, so I just want to say thank you so much for supporting us with your presence and your engagement. Can I just ask one thing? See, in light of what Sarah talked about last week, about you being a warrior who comes alongside others to advance the kingdom of God, if that's true, ladies, will you come alongside us by praying for us? Would you commit to praying for the men in your lives, your brothers, your dad, your friends, your boyfriend, your fiance, your husband, whatever that looks like, would you just pray for us? 
And see, we may never ask for it, but we need it. We need you as a powerful and as a fierce warrior to come alongside us. I can't think of any other way that's better than doing that first, at least with prayer. And not even at least. Prayers are powerful. We need that from you, ladies. Would you, ladies, would you commit to that for us? See, you play a powerful part in helping us carry our responsibility well. Again, as we unpack questions from tonight and the rest of the series, you can submit those all anonymously by filling in a note card, dropping it in our vase, or you can go to questions.gateway-anchor.com. And again, week six of this series, we'll unpack all of those together. I love you guys. Pray with me. God, we're just... (laughs) We're just so thankful that you give us spaces like this to come together as a community of 20s and 30s, God, and just explore really difficult parts of our lives that are sometimes uncomfortable to talk about, sometimes make us anxious and nervous, yet, God, you give us spaces like this where maybe we can take a chance, maybe we can learn to risk a little bit and just experience grace. Because, Jesus, you you say there is therefore now no condemnation, and we need that. And so, Father God, I just pray for all the men in the room, the men in the room who are hearing these words tonight and they're processing what this looks like for them. How in the world do we start to live this out? Jesus, would you just help us? <laughs> That's our prayer. Would you just help us? Because in many ways, we don't know where to start. We don't know what to do. We don't know whether to ask for help or how we would even ask for help. So, Jesus, would you just help us take steps to becoming the men you always designed us to be, to step into that responsibility that you designed us to have because people are counting on us. And you've entrusted people and things to our care, Jesus, and we don't understand why, but we just thank you that that's true, that you have, that you have saw fit to give us that responsibility. We don't take it lightly, Jesus, so we just pray that you would help us and that, Holy Spirit, you would empower us to live more and more like Jesus. And I just pray for the ladies in the room that every single one of them would feel empowered as a fierce warrior to come alongside the men in their lives. And for a lot of the ladies, that means figuring out what that looks like. Because a lot of this is new and we're, we're learning Jesus. So would you just help us? Would you help the women in the room just understand and really know what that looks like, how to do that well, how to do that with bravery and courage? And Jesus, I just pray for grace because we need it. We do. Would you just pour out your grace on us, Jesus? Would you help us? We love you. We can't do anything without you. And we're just thankful that you choose to do life with us. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. Hey, I love you guys. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next week.